We are delighted to have not just uh, one guest and Bishop Paul with us, but also uh, Nikki and Pippa Gumbel, um, who uh, many of you will already know. They're the leaders of HTB. That's the church from which, out of which we were, were planted, and they've uh, been around HTB uh, for a while and been leading it since early in the 2000s sometime. As you can see, my research is flawless. But I've been leading Alpha since around 1990. Many of you will have either gone through an Alpha course or heard of one or served on one or something like that. Uh, they have uh, four children and uh, three children, sorry, gosh. You have four children. I'm, I have four children. <laughs> Nikki wants to find out about the fourth. It's, it, was, it was prophecy, it was prophecy. Well, and an ever-increasing number of grandchildren. See, I just I kept that nondescript. Uh, the HDB has planted many churches. I'm not going to aim for a number, but it's over, it's a, it's over 25, I think, now. Um, and an uh, increasing number as well. And they've trained and sent many leaders out from HDB, both church planters, worship leaders, and many, many other kinds of leaders as well. Uh, personally, Amy and I owe them a huge debt. And it's probably one of the... Uh, greatest affirmations I could give to say that uh, the thing with Nikki and Pippa is that the closer that Amy and I have been able to get to them, the more impressed we've become by their character, by their godliness, by their kindness. And they are uh, some of the most wonderful leaders we've had the privilege of working with and alongside. So can we give them a hugely warm Trinity Church Nottingham welcome? to be here. I can't believe this. This is absolutely amazing. We've heard about it, but now we see it with our eyes. And as always, it's far more exciting and better and in every possible way than we could have imagined. So we're just thrilled to be here and see what's happened. And well done, John and Amy. Johnny, sorry. Johnny, John. Johnny and Amy and their six children. <laughs> is that prophecy? <laughs> I think that's more realistic possibility than, than Pip's having a fourth. Though she looks very young. I, didn't, I think that would be in the Guinness Book of Records if she had a fourth. <laughs> Nothing is impossible with God. Oh, Sarah, yeah, that's true. Sarah had one at 98, but um, that's slightly different. But it is amazing. And we do want to pay tribute to you, Johnny and Amy. What an incredible achievement this is. Isn't that amazing what they've done in the last two years? Johnny and Amy! And Paul and Sarah, yeah, amazing achievement between all of you. And all of you in the diocese, yeah, we've done fantastic. It's really extraordinary to see what you've achieved. And the half was not told us, isn't that right? Isn't that what someone said in the Bible? The half was not told us. I mean, this is extraordinary. The worship was amazing. That was phenomenal worship. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, we have lots of questions for you. Um, now, we, there's obviously so much um, that we could learn from you and your years of experience and wisdom, but if people know me, we're going to start hearty. Is that all right? Okay, so um, 
So first question then, so you both didn't grow up in Christian homes or Christian environments, so could you just tell us a little bit of your story, how you became Christians and what that sort of early life looked like? For me, I, I grew up in a sort of nominally Christian ho- home. We went to church occasionally. Um, and I think it, if I'd been asked if I was, you know, if I believed there was a God, I would have said yes. But we didn't pray. We didn't have Bibles. We didn't ever talk about faith. So I didn't know you could have a relationship with God. And it wasn't till um, actually I was about 18, 17, I actually met Nikki before either of us really had, had this faith. And we became friends. And then Nikki went off to university and became a Christian. Then he became this really zealous evangelist. And I met him at a party after he'd become a Christian. He came up to me and he, at this party and said, um, you look awful and you need Jesus. <laughs> tactic try it in your bars at uni see how it goes um but somehow or other through some totally different people I became a Christian and I (laughs) did nothing to do with Nikki (laughs) I don't know even yeah it's hard to know really what happened between then but I suppose it sent me on a journey to find out what the difference was and I met these people who explained to me about who Jesus was and that I could have a a personal relationship with him and I saw what they had and wanted it I didn't quite recognize him Nikki I just thought he'd gone mad and um but when I when these people started talking to me I gave my life to Christ and we (laughs) re-met so I was um my father was uh, a secular Jew He'd escaped from uh, Nazi Germany and come over to this country and met my mother, who they they were both barristers. They met, and um, my mother was a kind of nominal Anglican, didn't go to church. So I had no Christian upbringing, and I was a teenager, declared myself to be an atheist. Uh, And I've got argumentative atheist at university, but uh, while I was there, my two closest friends, Nikki and Silla Lee, became Christians, and when they told me that, I was so worried about them, because they were such lovely people, that I decided to do, <laughs> that I decided to do some research, and I read the New Testament. As I was reading the New Testament, if any of you have never done this, maybe somebody here, you're, you're a guest here, and you've never done this, I really recommend just reading it, because as I read the New Testament, it was as if the person of Jesus emerged from the pages and I encountered him and that totally changed my life looking back it was like I was always been looking for something nothing ever satisfied I thought I was really happy but looking back it was like my life was in black and white and Jesus said I came that you might have life and all its fullness and that's what I experienced the moment I encountered Jesus Wow, amazing. So what happened next? So tell us a little bit of how you've come to do what you're doing now, like a little bit of the story from then. (laughs) Well, as you gather from Pips' story, I wanted to tell people about Jesus. (laughs) But I didn't quite have the right methods. (laughs) Telling people they look awful and need Jesus didn't seem to be very successful. So um, I was looking for ways. I I knew that this was the most important thing that anyone could find in their life. And I knew that 
this was the most important message that you could ever give anybody and that beyond, beyond anything that you could give someone, if you could give them the message of Jesus, that was the kindest, most loving thing that you could do for another person. And that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, and so really, I, even, I, saw, I was a barrister for a few years, but I saw that really as just training to learn how to communicate a bit better than I'd done with Pips. So I did that for a few years, and then we went off and we trained um, for, for ordination in the Church of England, and we came back um, to be part of HTB, which where we've been for a long time, actually, before that. Um, so that's how we came, and then we started running Alpha. And then we discovered in Alpha, what I discovered in Alpha was a way in which people like me, who are not very good, who, who are hope, you know, have the kind of experience that I had with Pips of just putting people off, uh, can... Alpha is a way in which ordinary people like me, who are not good at it, can communicate our faith to people outside the church. And that's why we love it. We're on our 85th small group in a row on this course. And we met last last two Wednesdays, we just started, and it's just amazing to see. We had, on our own Alpha course, we had over 750 people turned up the first night. This is just on our own little course at HTB. They were queuing all around the church to get in. And uh, just see the, the hunger there is out there. For s- People are hungry for something spiritual. They know that material things alone do not satisfy. However successful they are, however much money they have, whatever their relationships are, however wonderful their families are, they know there's something missing. And that's why they queue all around the church to come and find out if there's more to life than just the things that they're chasing after. And even behind, I mean, if sort of dig back a bit to the story uh, of HDB and Alpha and your own story. There's something powerful that happened, I suppose, in and around the early 1990s. Um, God was really at work very powerfully, wasn't he? And, and John Collins and Sandy and John Wimber were sort of people. Maybe it's before the 90s, but would you say just a few words about what happened and how that changed the way that you thought and were? I, I, when we started HGB, the, there was an, it was just a, a tiny church, really. There was one service, uh, and it was very formal, robe choir, robe paid choir who didn't believe anything, who was singing there, and not nearly as many people as there are here today. No, and it and much older. Uh, so it is extraordinary. Um, it's extraordinarily what God has done, and that I suppose you could say started under Sandy Miller. And he began to change things radically when you, you looked at it with the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing on him. And then we joined the church after he'd been there a small while. And I, all sorts of extraordinary things I, ha- happened over the years. But one of the big uh, turning points was somebody called uh, John Wimber, who I don't know how many people have heard of. But he was an American pastor who really taught about healing. And I think also introduced it, introduced informal worship in a way that we hadn't really seen before. And he came to our church. He, um, we'd never really had an American preaching in our church. We were all really quite shocked, I think. But it was, it was what we needed. And it began a move of saying that he gave us a model for how to pray for people. And, and his great 
um, one of the, his many brilliant expressions was, you know, everyone gets to play. In other words, everyone can pray for people. It's not just the leaders. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the ministry team or the most spiritual person in the room. But everybody can pray for, for people and see God work in extraordinary ways. And I, I think that was the beginning of seeing healings ministry that we hadn't seen before. And it changed the emphasis on what we expected in the service. And now we take it for granted that we have informal worship, we pray for people, that that's the, that's the normal thing. And that was, that was one of the, the many things that sort of changed the direction of our church. And then, um, then there was a great outpouring later on, and that was extraordinary too. So we have had quite a few huge sort of things that have come to the churches over the over the seasons say a bit about how that impacted your own prayer lives and and how you pray um say a bit about that how do you pray and and, and how was that shaped by that time both of you <laughs> I, I think it it raised faith i mean i think I, before i would have said that i believed in praying for people, but I hadn't seen people's lives radically changed in that way. And I think it just sort of raised faith and we saw things that we hadn't seen before and that really, really helps. Of course, you can pray for hundreds of people and nothing happen, but when you just start to see one or two people where you see the Spirit of God come on someone or someone's healed or the moment somebody comes to Christ, it is just very exciting. And in those days, hardly anybody, I mean, we would think it was amazing if someone became a Christian. We'd have one a year, two a year. And now we, did, we think it's just normal that at, every, at the end of every Alpha course and, and so, you know, some Sundays people put up their hands and have become Christians. And you, you just think, oh, yeah, that's great. But actually, it's extraordinary. And I think there is something going on in our country at the moment. There is a there is this real stirring of the spirit. Things are happening. There's things happening with the youth. Things happening, and people people are coming into the kingdom. That people are really hungry and lost and looking for something. So I think it's changed how I would pray for pray for people. I mean, you know, we can still we still struggle on. You still can have moments of doubt, but I think it started. Um, something completely different in the way we would pray for people. And he taught us to pray, come Holy Spirit, in every service, with an expectation that the Holy Spirit will come. So that's what we're going to do in this service, at the end of this little, whatever this is, um, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to pray, come Holy Spirit, and uh, because that's what we do in every service. But it's with the expectation, because every church plays come Holy Spirit, every, it's in every liturgy. But Father Raniero Cantalamessa, who is the preacher to the Pope, said that the trouble is in most churches when they pray, come Holy Spirit, it's with no expectation that the Holy Spirit's going to come. He says, he's Italian, he's an Italian monk. And he says, it's like in Italy. If you sit next to someone in church, you say to your neighbor at the end of the service, you really must come round to my home with no expectation that they'll come. You would be horrified if they said, okay, well, I'll come then. And this is when people pray, come Holy Spirit, it's often like that. But when we pray, come Holy Spirit, now, after this, what Pippa was describing, it's with the expectation, and that's what we're going to pray at the end of this service, come Holy Spirit. And expect now, be thinking now, right now, at the end of this service, the Holy Spirit is going to come to me. I'm going to, some life change is going to happen. If you expect that, faith is expecta expectation. 
and God responds to faith. So if you expect today that God is going to meet with you and encounter you and change your life and give you some new gift, heal you, bring some anointing, new anointing to your life, then he will. I just wonder if we stop there. <laughs> but I do want to, I do, I do want to ask a question connected to that. I mean, I think that the idea that you're communicating is that that period of your lives enabled you to, I suppose, see a new normal. And another area that you've, you've seen that and are seeing that at HTB is around church planting. And I wondered if you'd speak a little bit about, well, you could say how you got into that, I suppose, but really that the role that you see church planting specifically in this wider expectation that you're describing nationally? Could you speak to that? Well, initially we planted across London. I don't know, maybe there are 30, 30 or 40 churches across London that have been planted, or, or our grandchildren now. Um, you know, Rick Thorpe, who's now the bishop in charge of church planting, he planted into Shadwell. He then planted five churches from there. So we did that in London. And then in 2009, we planted the first church that we planted outside London. St. Peter's Brighton. The church is right in the center of Brighton. And it was a, about to be closed. And they couldn't even sell it because it was a listed building. They were just going to put up scaffolding around it. And the residents, the residents of Brighton objected. And so we said, could we possibly have the church? And there was a bit of a discussion about it. But eventually, they gave it to us, I think, for a pound. For 125 years. And we sent off to this derelict church with scaffolding all around it. There were seven people left in the congregation going to an eight o'clock service. And we sent 30 people with one of our team, Archie Coates. Now, every week, there are over a thousand people worshipping in that church. Instead of scaffolding around the church, there are queues of people coming to Alpha, to Safe Haven. They've got the biggest homeless project in Brighton is in their church. Uh, there's just so many community groups worshipping there. And people know of that church. If you go up to a homeless person, we were there the other day, we went up to a, a, a homeless person and chatting to them. Oh yeah, we know the church. We go to Safe Haven on Saturday evening. We know that's a place we can get food. It's known in Brighton. It's a church not just in Brighton, but for Brighton. And then after that, we planted into Norwich and Birmingham. Your cousin, sister. Very difficult um, relationship to describe. Surely. <laughs> Sounds incestuous, but it is not. It was perfectly, perfectly, it's perfectly, <laughs> perfectly healthy parents are here and it's all perfectly fine and all the rest of it. Anyway, Birmingham, Gas Street, Birmingham, and then um, Gateshead, um, Derby, Lincoln, Plymouth, South, just in the last week, Southampton and Bristol. Both of them, amazing just to see the place. So people were, in the opening service, people were healed in the worship. People encountered Jesus for the first time. There's an amazing thing happening. And the church in Bristol had been closed for 65 years. When someone went to, to arrived at Bristol, St. Nicholas Bristol, closed for 65 years, they said to the taxi driver, could you take me to St. Nicholas in Bristol? The taxi driver said, Don't, never heard of it. 
And Sarah, who was in the taxi, said, well, you will do now because it's opening after 65 years. And they had their first service there after 65 years. So Mary's in Southampton. John and Hannah Finch went there. Amazing. This is a couple. He was brought up in Zimbabwe, and she is Canadian. They came here, and they were in one of our church plants as associate uh, vicar there. And then he came to train for a couple of years with us before going to Southampton. Well, he, we didn't know, he said, I'll go anywhere. And we looked at various possibilities, and eventually they met with the Bishop of Southampton, who said they'd like, he'd like them to come. He looked at various churches, and he thought, well, don't know which one, but, but maybe this one. And he actually asked the vicar to leave, and the vicar was quite happy to leave, so that was fine. Um, and so, this is not recorded, is it? No. <laughs> don't, please don't pass this on, uh, Paul, to anybody. But... Uh, well, that's quite a good model, really. Um, anyway, so, so, um, so John rang his dad and said, we're going to plant a church in Southampton. His wife, she didn't even know, she couldn't even remember where it was. She thought it was Salisbury. But he said, no, we're going to Southampton. So he said, he said to his parents, and so his parents said, well, which church is that? And he said, it's St. Mary's, Southampton. And... There was a pause, and then he said, that's the church we were married in. And your grandfather was the church warden there. Isn't that extraordinary? Of all the churches, that they should end up there. And um, the church was packed, yeah, absolutely packed. And all the churches in Southampton have been praying for them because they can see this is a sign of hope in the city. So it's a really exciting time. Chris and Naomi Bradish are here today. They're about to plant into Andover. That will be just after Christmas. Yeah. And now it's so changed. You know, the bishops actually come to us and say, please, could we have a church plant? And that is an, a really, really exciting moment. And, and this really is a, a cooperation. We could not do this without the bishops. And we have to pay tribute to Bishop Paul and to Sarah for their vision for this city. <laughs> Nottingham is the first city where we, all, we have two church plants. We have a second one. Uh, Rich uh, is Richard and Lizzie Atkinson today, today are starting their first service in, in Nottingham. So this is an amazing vision, but it's, it's such an exciting time. Uh, you really, you know, our, our vision is to see the re-evangelization of this nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society. And this here today is a sign of hope that that's going to happen in Jesus' name. Amazing. And we've got loads of questions, but we want you um, to pray for us. But just last question, Pippa. Um, what piece of wisdom have you been given um, that has blown your mind over your years? Like what piece um, of wisdom that you've carried um, all your years? Can you think of one? <laughs> Gosh, Amy. Um, <laughs> Mike, this the, is my question. <laughs> straight on the spot. Um, I mean, there's lots of things, I think, for, for me that have changed over the years. What, one of the things is that I 
would never have sat up here with a microphone or anything. I grew up, I was dyslexic, I struggled at school, didn't go to university, and I sort of had disqualified myself ever. I was happy to be behind the scenes, would always sort of support whatever was going on. Nikki, absolutely very happily. And it actually was somebody, somebody called Christine Kane was one of the people who started really challenging me, saying, what on earth are you doing? You know, don't you know that you're, you, you know, you're called, we're all called, whoever we are, um, to call to lead, to have impact, to add value, wherever we're, we're stationed. And you have, and she was saying to me, you have such opportunities in life and you're, you're dodging them. And, and if you don't do it, you're not a good role model for the people around you. And th I mean, that was one of the things that spoke to me. And I, I so that's one of the reasons I do it is that, um, I may not be the best at, at speaking, but we lead the, s the services now together at HDB when we're there because we want to show that, if, that, it's, that anybody can do it. You know, if I can do it, you can do it, I assure you. And particularly for women to know that, that it, it's for you as well. That, and that's what I love about seeing Johnny and Amy leading that it's very much a partnership. And j just to give permission, really, for women to, to lead and have a role as they should do. So I think it is, wasn't general wisdom, it was more a challenge and saying, you know, and, and for everybody to know that don't disqualify yourself in whatever situation you're in. And it may not be an ideal situation at the moment, but God can use you and can blow your mind actually, that he can use you far more than you can ever imagine. Would you pray for us? <coughs> Would you like to stand? Yeah. Well, let's pray that prayer, that ancient prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, that's our prayer today. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit.